You're listening to the Restoration Church Bible Study. Join us each week as Gloria Lee takes us verse by verse through the Old Testament. We are in Esther. Esther. Yes, and we are starting with the fifth chapter of Esther. Fifth chapter of Esther. Fifth chapter of Esther. And up to this point, Esther um, is the queen and the king has made a decree unknowingly or in his ignorance or however, that all of the Jews will be killed in 11 months. And that, of course, includes Esther. And so Mordecai goes to Esther and says to her, you need to approach the king and see what you can do for us. And he said, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And she knows that you cannot approach the king uninvited. Or if you go and he holds out the scepter to you and you touch the scepter, then you're all right. But she doesn't know if that's going to happen for her. But she says, all right, I go, I will go. Only if you have people praying and fasting for me. So that shows the importance of praying and fasting. And she also and her handmaidens prayed and fasted. And then she said, I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So now we start in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now she showed a lot of courage in her willingness to even approach the king without being summoned by him. And he did not, the king did not have a good reputation in being kind to his queens. And so this was a little bit more perilous than usual. But anyway, she showed her uh, attacked, I guess, by not blurting out immediately what she wanted from the king. She just waited and wanted to win first his confidence so that maybe he would have a little more favor for her. And she wanted Haman at the banquet so that he would be exposed for his wickedness. So verse 6 through 8, at the banquet of wine, and I looked that up, I thought, did she just serve wine at this banquet? But when I looked up wine in the commentary, it said it was a banquet also. So I guess they had food. 
What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half of the kingdom. It shall be done. And then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So King Ahasuerus repeated this offer to Queen Esther that he would give her up to half of the kingdom. Now, it's more just a an expression than actually a reality of what he said. He didn't really mean that he would give her is what the commentator said, half of the kingdom. But it just was a figure of speech. Like yeah, just, yeah. I'll give you up to half. Husbands yeah. do to wives, right? <laughs> so Esther put off the request for one more day, promising that she would reveal her petition to him the very next day. Now, it could be that she got cold feet and just wanted to put off asking it, you know, just just one more day. Let me have just one more Maybe day. She's waiting on the fast to be. Uh, I don't know what you know. It could have been that God just had directed her just to hold her tongue for one more day. Right. We just don't know. But there was a lot hanging on that day, and so she longed to bring out her secret, but she just couldn't say it that first day. So God was in it, and and He had a He had a plan, and He knew when she should speak to it. So, therefore, the Lord knew best. So, verses 9 through 13. So, Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zerich. And then Haman told them of his great riches, his multitude of children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she has prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her, along with the king. Yet all of this avails me nothing as so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Miserable Haman. I mean, he was so miserable because Mordecai would not bow down to him. And he wanted all or nothing. He wanted everybody's praise and applause. And he just didn't get it. So being honored by the king and the queen of Persia, this one man made him feel worthless. And this is an, you know, an accurate description of how empty our lives can be without God in them. You know, if we don't have God in our lives, we've got an empty spot that cannot be filled. So his insecurity and his need to be honored by everybody meant that he was never going to be happy. You know, we can't have everybody's uh, approval all the time. We just, it just doesn't happen. 
So he restrained himself. And this is again the hand of God restraining Haman from doing something to Mordecai right then. In verse 13 where it says, Yet all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Well, the problem really wasn't Mordecai. The problem was the heart of Haman. Even if he had killed Mordecai, he still would have had a problem within himself. All right, verse 14. Then his wife, Zerich, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Now, for these friends of Haman, it wasn't enough just to punish Mordecai. They wanted to see him uh, up on that gallows in front of everybody so that he would be completely humiliated even in his death. So um, we know that the decree had already gone out for the Jews to all be killed, but that wasn't enough for them. And so they wanted Haman to ask for the public humiliated execution of Mordecai on these gallows that were 75 feet high. Now, remember I told you last week, I think it was, that the gallows were not for hanging. That, that uh, I've talked to many, I mean, searched many of the uh, commentators, and they all say it was for violently killing and displaying a victim. And I'm not going to tell you how they did it, but you can look it up or ask me later. But anyway, it was a horrible, excruciating death. And the thing that pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Now, we should never underestimate the destructive power of hatred. The same power of hatred that he had toward Mordecai is the same hatred that the Jews had against Jesus and caused him to hang on the cross. It was that same type of hatred. Any questions or comments on this chapter? Chapter 5. Thank God. Yes. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. That night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was written that Mordecai had told of Benhanna and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Now King Ahasuerus did what many do when they can't sleep. He looked for something to divert his attention so that maybe he could. Now there were many things you can do to help you go to sleep, but he decided that if somebody read to him, it would make him sleepy and he'd go to sleep. So he brought out a book and used it, hoping that it, that it would help. 
Now, this is a remarkable example of how God orchestrated all of this. It is amazing. Um, he commands that a book be brought. He didn't specify the book. Bring me a book. The one commanded to bring the book could have brought any book that was available. But he brought out the one book of the Chronicles. One particular book. The book could have been open to any page in there, but it was open to the exact page telling the story of Mordecai and how he had saved the king's life from assassination. So we see God guided it the whole way, showing a rare concern for a common subject, which was Mordecai. The king considered what kind of reward would he give Mordecai. So verse 4 through 5. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest to the king, that he can hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And so the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So it was no coincidence that Haman just happened to come into the court at that moment. It was no coincidence that Haman came at that moment to ask for the murder of Mordecai. It was no coincidence that King Ahasuerus wanted to honor Mordecai at just that same moment. So if this book of Esther shows anything, it shows us that God manages all of the affairs of man. We don't understand that. We don't think about it. But it's true. He orders all the affairs. The timing. Perfect. Oh, never late, always on time. Oh. Absolutely. And even with without our knowledge. So God knows what he's doing. And, and in the courts of heaven, there are no coincidences or surprises. God knows. Okay. So Esther wasn't lucky to be the queen. Mordecai wasn't lucky to have overheard the assassination plot. And it wasn't luck or chance that made Haman enter the court at that particular moment. All of these events were not luck, but they were the hand of God. So verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? There's that prize. So God arranged all things so that not only will all the Jews be ultimately protected, but also that both Mordecai and Haman would both get what they deserved, what was coming to them. So God often allows a man who has fallen to plan something against someone, and then that comes back to them. Um, so it was Haman's pride and his arrogance that was to be his cause of his greatest humiliation. Seven through nine. And Haman answered the king, 
For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman... In his childish desire to be lifted up and his pride be puffed up, asked for the things that really mattered to him, but didn't really matter to other people, probably. I'd like a replay of that when I get to Oh, I'm telling you. Oh, don't tell me you'd love to see that play out. You know, Haman was this tragic man who could only believe he had done well if he had everybody's applause. You know, he wanted everybody to applause. You know, it, it's good sometimes to get applause from men, but it's tragic if you live your life seeking that. And the applause that we really want should be that applause from heaven, knowing that we had satisfied God. All right, verse 10 through 11. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested. And do so for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone for all you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed it before him. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, wouldn't you have liked to have seen Haman's face when all this happened? Can you just imagine how he felt? And he had to do the honors. He had to clothe him with the robe. He had to lead him with the horse and say this before him all through the square. I, I'm telling you. Actually, no, he was seething and He anger. was absolutely undone. Oh. And so this was the man that he had asked to be executed or was going to. And so he did that. He gave him the robe, the horse, took him through the city square. But it was an ultimate humiliation for him to do so. And one of the commentators says that humiliation is only humiliation if it's public. Now, you can be humiliated maybe at home, but it's really bad when it's before everybody else. Verses 12 through 14. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And when Haman told his wife Zerich and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zerich said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Now that is predicting what's going to happen. That's prophecy. Yes, that's prophecy right there from here's people a, that even know that. There's a supportive wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So while they were talking to him, the king's eunuchs came, 
and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared with his head covered. Verse 12. That means that Haman acted as though his very best friend had been killed or had died. I mean, he was really in mourning. So, in fact, you know, his pride had taken a death blow here. He really had. And so his wife and his advisors see the future. And Haman's not going to prevail above Mordecai. But Mordecai is going to prevail above Haman. So any questions or comments on this chapter? No, I love that chapter. That's a good one. And it gets even better. (laughs) All right, chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom? It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and it pleases my king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. That's not right. No, I hate that one word. Annihilated. (laughs) Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So Esther, even when she finally made her request, she showed a lot of tact here. She didn't immediately identify herself as a Jew, targeted for um, massacre, even as Haman had hid his identity of the people he wanted killed. So she says in verse 3, Let my life be given me at my petition. So she showed wisdom how she wanted to ask this of him. Because she said, My life is at stake. So it's me. So she appealed on that personal basis because she knew she had favor with the king and knowing that she had never done anything but please the king. Now, verse 5, So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Now, Ahasuerus probably probably should have known that it was him that signed that death decree because he was the one that gave the authorization to do it. But maybe he did it in ignorance, didn't really know what he was doing. So verse 6, And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And Esther here exposed the truth about Haman. She showed that he was not faithful to the king and that he was instead an adversary and an enemy to the king who was more interested in his fame and status than he was of that of the king. Now, Haman never imagined that Esther was a Jew. 
And here he stood before the king, and he was accused of plotting the murder of the king's wife. And so that was a surprise to him. Now, the wisdom of her strange request to invite Haman now can be seen because it maximized this uh, revealing of Haman before the king uh, to these banquets. Um, In verse 7 and 8, Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Okay, the king's filled with wrath. He goes out to cool off maybe in the garden because he realized now that Haman had played him for a a dupe, I guess, in getting this decree to kill all the Jews into effect. And for all of Haman's planning, here he is. He got himself into deeper trouble. And now he's accused of personally assaulting Queen Esther. Now, I keep telling you about Jewish writings and Jewish lore and that kind of thing. This is a Jewish writing. And it says that Gabriel, the angel, pushed Haman so that he fell on Esther's couch just as King Ahasuerus was coming back into the room. I love that. Now, did that actually happen? I don't know. It's written down. Could have happened. Could not have happened. But Sounds whatever. Right. Sounds right. <laughs> uh, you just gave him a little shove. A little bit. Okay, Gabriel, go give him a little push down here. I did like King walks in and sees him on top of his wife. Oh, oh. I remember that in a movie. I don't remember what movie. One Night with the King. Was it One Night with the King that it was that? Okay. I guess I did see that then. Good. Okay. So anyway, when you cover a man's face or his head, that means they're ready for execution. Okay. So verse 9 through 10. Yes. <laughs> Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And then the king says, Hang him on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath subsided. Now, as in the case, again, let me just say this, in Esther 2.23, Haman was not killed with a rope around his neck. He was, it was, uh, he was impaled, and it was an ancient precursor to the crucifixion, so it was a type of something, something like that. So Haman found his end on the same instrument that he had prepared for Mordecai. 
So what he had planned for somebody else, it came back on him. So God often works this way. And one of the commentators says that we should pray this way, and it's in Psalm 7, verses 14 and 15. I think that's you. Behold, he trembleth with iniquity, yea, he hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He has made a pit and dugged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violence shall come down upon his path. Okay, so here he says, we should pray this, that the ones that are evil, that that evil should return to them. Whatever they have planned, let it happen to them instead of the ones they have planned. Psalm 7, 14 14 through 16. 16. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath subsided. Now, the death of a substitute satisfied the wrath of the king. So in the case of Mordecai and Haman... It was the guilty dying instead of the innocent. In the case of Jesus and us, it is the innocent who died for the guilty. So with that, I'll leave you. I want to do 8 and 9 and 10 next week, and so this is a short one. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.